Enjoy. You're listening to Coffee Talk with the Liturgy Guys. Excuse me. I happen to be passing. I thought you'd might like some coffee. Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Because if beer is proof of God's love for us, then coffee is proof of his mercy. Oremus, caffeine, come to my assistance. Oh. Put that coffee down. This is not a real episode of the Literature Guys. Coffee's for closes only. There's no topic that we're discussing, and we're not even talking about liturgy the whole time. Are you telling us absolutely everything? Not exactly. We're also out of coffee. <laughs> so without further ado, another Coffee Talk episode of the Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. C-O-F-F-E-E time. Now it's time for... I can't think of a rhyme. I just thought of a rhyme. That's funny. Yeah, coffee talk, baby. That one. Let's keep that. That's the 10th time we've done this introduction, and that's the one I think we'll keep. And I have to say hi to Amy Minnis, President Minnis' wife again, because she started listening to the podcast. She said she doesn't understand what we're talking about. But she likes the part about cheese its so. She should hang out with Katie Thornton then. I think they would get along. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Uh, today, Dennis, today, uh, let's talk about prayer. Prayer. What do we yeah. need to know about prayer? Well, that's what I was hoping you would tell me because I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and yes, because you know we ha- we talk a lot about the liturgy and active participation, and we talk about the Eucharist as the source and summit. And mm-hmm. if that's really what we're supposed to be doing in the mass, you know, worshiping God and glorifying mankind, and that's really what we're doing, then why do we need to incorporate prayer as like a daily part of our lives? If the best way to do that is through the Eucharist, mm-hmm. you know, why would we, quote unquote, settle for other types of prayer when it's not as, you know, it's not, I don't want to say it's not as efficacious, but it's not as intense or it's not as true to you know, our ontological reality as children. Uh, yes. Well, you know what it reminds me of? I remember, I don't know how old it was. I must have been, a, you know, grown up. I was over 20 probably. And I read this old book, some old Catholic book. And it said, the mass is the best prayer we can offer to God. And I was like, what? The mass? <laughs> prayer? <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I hear that all yeah. the time. So like, what? Why do anything else if that's the best? I didn't even know mass was a prayer. I, I thought a mass is this thing you went to and did, and I didn't understand it as a prayer. Um, so recently, the group of the students here um, who lead RCIA for people on campus, they don't just call it RCIA. They call it Emmaus Night, which is actually a good idea. Instead soon, of just putting, Soon to be OCIA, right? It will be the Order of Christian Initiation of, of Adults. Um so instead of just having, you know, the few people who are in RCIA in a classroom and making it feel like a sort of boring thing you have to get through, they actually open it up to the campus, right? So people come. So they asked me to give a little talk on prayer. It's maybe about 50 people were there. And uh, it's nice. It's sort of an extension of the classroom. And uh, it was really good. But I was thinking, what am I going to talk about in prayer? And the whole fourth section of the catechism is on prayer. Hundreds of entries, paragraphs. What are we going to talk about? But I decided to start with this. The first thing I put on the PowerPoint was this phrase, God is love itself. God is love itself. He's not one who loves if he's in a good mood and not one who loves if he's in a bad mood. So we think of people who love us and maybe they have a bad day or they're selfish sometimes or impatient. God's not like that. He's this furnace of love. 
and he's this furnace of existence being itself too. And he wants to make us like him. He wants us to be, to have this fullness of, of existence, not fallenness, not lack of understanding, not pain, sorrow, suffering, or death. It's like his fullness of existence means he's outside of those things. And I think sometimes we think yin and yang, right? God's God, we're human. These are different. Um, but we're human beings, right? We have a share in being. He's being itself, which means perfect existence. And so whatever deficiencies we have is actually a lack of being. Lack of being. Just like this example I like to use, I learned from Bishop Barron, a cavity is an absence of tooth. It's not something other than tooth. So our fallenness is a lack of being, and God wants us to be made like him by his free gift to, to us. And that's the foundation for prayer. All right. Well, that was awesome. Thanks for having this conversation. No, I'm just kidding. That, but that doesn't answer my question. What's your joke? What's your question? <laughs> That's a joke I like to do a lot. So, I know. Uh, no, my question is so okay. I get it. I'll, I'll, again, though, but if the if the mass is the best prayer, it um, is. Why don't we just only do the mass? Well, um, because the whole life is a is a relationship with God. All of life. I mean, if you say the thing I like to do best with my wife is the highest um, communion with her. You know, we go antiquing or something. And then we don't talk to her the rest of the day. Well, all right. That's not really establishing a relationship that's daily and um, going on and on. So the liturgy is the most intense, highest participation in the dialogue of the persons of the Trinity. But then the rest of your life can do that too. So um, it's not meant to be – I get my 55 minutes. I've, I've checked the box. You know, it's like the old, um, you know, time clock thing. I've done that. Now I'm free to – Forget God. It's about extending it out into the world. Why? 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 You know, if you were a training for the Olympic weightlifting team, you would say, okay, I did my three hours in the gym. Now I'm going to lie on the couch and eat Doritos. No, your whole life becomes this preparation to, to rise to this high level of nutrition, cardio, rest, drinking enough water, all that stuff. And so think of this great athletic comparison with becoming like God every day would be that way. This is kind of like that, you know, one podcast we did on asceticism. It's kind of like that, that daily configuring ourselves to God. And so, and there's, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but are, oh, are you saying, are you saying that there's a, there's a legitimate variety of ways to do that and that all things are helpful in that relationship, even though they're not all, you know, spending time in adoration or, you know, going to mass, but there's a, there's a legitimate variety there and we need to, we, we all need to do that. And plus I would say we also all have different charisms. And so I think the way that you pray and are connected to God in that way is probably different than the, the way I pray. And so we have to also focus on those individual specific relationships as well. Mm -hmm. Right. And so as members of the mystical body, we each have different members. Your hand is a hand and a foot is a foot and a kidney is a kidney. Kidneys do what kidneys do and hands do what hands do. And a perfect hand is not the same as a perfect kidney. So if you've got a Franciscan temperament or a Jesuit intellectual temperament or Dominican, or whatever, that's, that's part of how your particular path to salvation and glorification is, is made. But, you know, the key for all of it, whether it's liturgical or private prayer or Franciscan influenced or whatever, is that God wants to communicate himself to us. In other words, he wants to give us a share in his existence, but it has to be free. God can't show up and say, do this or else, because then it's not love, it's it's compulsion. And so this 
play between discipline, asceticism, as you mentioned, um, freedom and love and, and being known is very important because you can only, you can't love what's, what you don't know. And so knowing God, letting God communicate himself to us, not only in intellectual understanding, but a, a different ways of being present. That's what prayer is. It's primarily God's self-communication to us, but then we give that communication of ourselves back so that he can love us and we can love him back in return. And, you know, like you have a lovely wife. You still married to? We could talk about that in another part. No, okay. <laughs> very happily, very happily married. Actually, right. six years tomorrow. Oh, right. Cool. Congratulations. Thank you. I mean, you had to know her before you could love her, right? And you no, had we went on that reality show where we met each other uh, at the at the altar. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. Just get a few seconds to look at each other. Uh-huh. Uh, but you have to be known to each other to love each other. And, you know, when you meet someone on a first date and you're nervous and anxious and it's not going anywhere, it's like, nope. Sometimes you just say, yeah, this, the, the conversation is so free. We understand each other. We clicked. We know each other. And that would be sort of a beginning of loving somebody. And so God will not force himself on us. So we have to give him the permission to love us. And part of that means uh, allowing him to be known. And that in some way takes part of our, in part as part of our effort, just like going to the first date would be effort, but the other, you can't force the other person to reveal themselves to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it has to be a free gift. It has to be known and has to be loved. And so that developing of understanding, which God always initiates is what, um, what we're talking about in prayer. I think that another good example of this is um, when, you know, my kids are little and, you know, we go visit grandma and grandpa. And then when we get there, when we arrive or when we leave, I'm always like, Agnes, go, go give grandma a hug, go give grandpa a hug. And one time my mom was like, don't, don't tell them to do that. And I said, why you, don't you want a hug from your grandchildren? And she said, well, yeah, but if you tell them to give them the hug, then they're do, they're doing it because you told them to do it, not because they want to come yeah. up and give me a hug. And I right. think there's some real truth to that. But, you know, at the same time, there's that habitual formation. You know, I'm trying to show them that this is what you do when you right. show people that you love them. And so there's a balance there, you know, like, you know, doing something out of obedience, but also doing something. I'm not telling them to hug their grandma because I, I want to placate my mother and say like, oh, go make her think you love her. I want them to do that because I want them to understand that that is an expression of love and one that is received well. And so, but it's the same thing for me, you know, like if, if I, if I tell Agnes, you know, give me a hug and I like getting a hug from her, but you know, what's really sweet is if I'm sitting on the couch and just out of nowhere, she comes up to me and says, daddy, I love you and gives me a hug. And and that's like, Free that's, right. That's what God wants. That's that's those prayers that we send up because it's one thing to say like, oh, I did my holy hour today. But it's another thing to say, oh, I got to spend an hour with mm-hmm. the one I love today. Mm-hmm. And it was the best part of my day. Yeah. I babysat someone's kids and kept them from dying today. Okay. Fine. <laughs> I love that's not true. For an hour <laughs> and they love me back. That's a different kind of, of thing. And so this is the context for prayer, which is God is only love, only goodness, and he wants desperately to give it away. And, you know, the catechism brings up the point that with the woman at the well, that Jesus is thirsty. And he says to this woman, get me a cup of water. It's sort of like, well, who is he to boss her around? But the sort of mystical interpretation of that is it's an invitation to conversation. So 
the father says, I want to initiate conversation with you and asks for something uh, from us. That's part of my courtship story with my wife. I told her to get me a cup of water. And then when she did, I was like, okay, now we can talk. Now we can talk about our feelings for each other. (laughs) And you've been getting (laughs) your water ever since. So uh, that's actually very true. Uh, So, okay. So you're dealing with this group of people who's in the RCIA process, or at least curious about the faith. What do you say when somebody approaches you and says, I've never prayed before. I don't know how to pray. I don't even know how to do this. And and then yeah. in theory, I agree with what you're saying because I, I love Christ and I, I want to do those things, but I just don't have, I don't have the, the knowledge of how to even begin that process. So what do you, what do you say? How do you get somebody started? Yeah, I think part of that is getting over this idea that God is scary or mean, you know, the Jansenist God that we've talked about before that he doesn't really want to deal with us, but he'll kind of, you know, scrunch up his nose and tolerate us. It's not like that at all. Think of someone who loves you desperately. So, you know, parents go through this when their kids are little and they run to the door and they come home from work. Daddy, I love you. Right. And then they're 12 and they're like, uh, right. And the parents are like, man, if my kids would only hug me and you have to give them space to, to go away and then come back. So think of God more like that, right? He's the perfect parent, perfect loving parent who, wants nothing more than for us to to communicate with him. And, you know, in a sense, like your kids owe you obedience, right? Because you brought them into creation and you feed them and all that. But if that's all it is, that's what's called the virtue of religion with God. We owe God worship for, for um, creating us. But he's not a tyrant, right? He's a father. And father wants more than duty and law. He wants to love us and be loved. And how does that work on earth? You talk to people. You say, Hi, <laughs> what did you do today? This is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm concerned about. And so one of the ways that um, people talk about praying is, sure, you can say a rosary and that's great. But in some sense, the rosary is just supposed to keep your mouth and one busy part of your brain active so that you can go into this deeper understanding. Because human beings have, after the angels, the highest capacity to know God and to be one with him and um What the catechism brings up is very interesting that even when we fall, even when we lose perfection, even when we uh, have all these issues, that we still have the desire for the one who brought us into existence. And you can think about, you know, if a parent and a child have a deep uh, fight or something and the parent and the kid separate, the kid moves out of the house or something, the mom always wants that kid back. And even the angry child might say, oh, if only I could reconcile. Like there's this deep desire to to renew that and, and restore that relationship. And so, you know, when you have a feeling like, why do I exist? That's already a prompting from God to say, I want you to know where you came from. Or why is there so much suffering in the world? Or even even the new atheists are like, God is the flying spaghetti monster in the sky, which we should eradicate from civilization. That's already an invitation to God to say, why do we even care about this? You know, there's something, it's an invitation to ask the question that God always does uh, first you know, I'm teaching this class called Music and Catholic Liturgy this semester. I'm reading this awesome book by Joseph Jeleno on music. And he talks about the Kyrie as a cry, uh, crying out from the depths. You know, Lord, have mercy, rescue me. And he says, as soon as you cry out, it's a desire to live as opposed to die, right? Because if you don't want to live, you just lie there in the corner and die. But if you say, please help me, that's a desperate cry to continue existence. And that's in us, you know, help me. Help me understand. Help me know. Why is the world the way it is? I love why? that prayer. I love that prayer. Is Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's Augustine where he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yeah. Is that, 
And so right. I think that's kind of where it's coming from. And I love that idea of starting with a conversation and the idea that with God, there is no offensive question. There is no offensive, you know, you can come to God in anger and curiosity and doubt, but but at least be true to yourself because mm -hmm. that's it's when that door is open, that's where he can start to penetrate your heart. You can't do that unless you open the door first. And I think those that idea of starting with a conversation is the best way to open that door. I, I like that. Yeah. And people will go to their health gurus or their tennis coach or their piano teacher and say, I don't know about piano. You know, I surrender to your teaching. Somehow we don't like to do that with God. It's like, don't tell me what to do. Right. But it, there is a certain sense, which is God's God and I'm not. <laughs> and you have to have that level of humility. And people then, definitely don't want to do that about a liturgy. <laughs> but see, once you do, you can say, oh, now I'm open to receiving all this gifts of, of understanding, knowledge, love, goodness itself, love itself. Every acquisition of understanding and increased capacity to do anything requires a certain submission to a teacher. It's just how it is. And so if you think God is scary, mean, and a danger to you, nobody's going to want to surrender to that. So that's where I keep coming back to this idea. Love itself, goodness itself, wants to love us, wants to bring us to full uh, being. And if there's false ideas out there about God being angry and dangerous and mean and arbitrary and untrustworthy, get rid of those because that's not what it's about. Um, Christ, here's this really, really important thing. Christ is both human and divine. God the Father, of course, uh, not incarnate per se, and who knows how three persons of the Trinity share the incarnation, but Christ becomes human and divine, which means he can take humanity into the dialogue of the Trinity. God, the father can hear us because Christ is both us and the father. So it's like a subset. You know, you have those two circles that overlap and it makes that little, uh, a Venn diagram. Uh, well, if you have two circles in math and then they overlap, there's a subset where they both overlap. So like if you put yellow and blue, the parts that overlap will become green. Yeah, and a Venn diagram. Is that what it is? Okay. Think about Christ that way, divine and human. So when we pray, our prayers go up through the neck of Christ and get addressed to the Father through the action of the Holy Spirit, which means we can always be sure uh, that we're heard. Uh, and so the theology behind that, of course, is that we've been grafted on to Christ. So when I did this talk the other day, I brought in a, a, a drawing, it wasn't so gruesome, of a transplanted heart. And it shows the little seams and everything. But the body provides the heart with oxygen. And so then the heart can pump that oxygen around the body. And the body, the heart from somebody else becomes part of you. And so when we're grafted onto Christ, we, we become part of Christ. We get the oxygen, so to speak, of Christ's share in the divinity. At the same time, our humanity becomes part of God. And so you sort of exercise that, um, that relationship. Uh, I'm talking a lot here. I don't know if you feel free, feel free to interrupt as you say. Oh, so my next question, and maybe to kind of put a nice little bow on this is so, okay, so you've had that conversation with people who are interested in the faith or, or at least maybe are Catholic, but didn't know some of this stuff. And we've talked about prayer as a conversation, introducing those concepts and maybe where to start. The, the, the last thing I think is important in this introduction is to then kind of go back to where we began, but how to do that in the mass. And mm -hmm. so wh where is that in, you know, we hear active participation. We talk a lot about it on the podcast, but for somebody who's brand new to this, who 
maybe is Catholic, but was never told how to pray. What are they supposed to do in mass? Um, are they supposed to have those conversations in their head or are they supposed to be doing the prayers that the church, like, what do they do? Yeah. Well, you know, the mass is, um, is actually a collection of prayers. Bishop Barron's fond of saying the Bible is like a library. It's a collection of different books rather than one big book. And when you think of the mass, it's full of different kinds of prayer. And some of them are more external. Some of them are more internal. And so the catechism actually walks through different kinds of prayer, you know, blessing, petition, intercession, thanksgiving, things like that. And they're all in the mass. So at some point, your job is to stand up and sing the Gloria. And at other times, it say after communion, you're, you sit still and have this deep interior prayer. Sometimes you call out for help in the Kyrie. And so the, you know, the best way to do that is to mean it. Like, Lord have mercy. Well, all right, I've just said the words because I have to, and that's what everybody on either side of me is doing. Or you're God and I'm not, and I want to be like you. You know, hey, golf coach. I mean, if Rory McIlroy showed up to teach you golf, you wouldn't be like, eh, <laughs> let me forget forget this. Nobody can teach you. would be like, please, I get an hour with you? Wow, how can I learn to putt? I'd be like, what did you just say? Because he's from Ireland and hard to understand. Oh, there you go. Used to be Tiger Woods. Now that's, you know, that's a long time ago now. But just to presume, yeah, Rory McIlroy, have mercy on me. Spend an hour with me and teach me. And so that sets it up. And then you say thank you, right? Thank you, Rory McIlroy, for sharing your good with me. And uh, you would ask him, he would probably say, well, what do you need? Well, you know, I'm, I'm slicing all the time. Oh, well, let me show you how to have your grip. So some of it is participatory. Some of it is asking. Some of it is thinking. Some of it is just doing, you know. He'll watch you, you know, hit a bunch of uh, – drives the driving range and then give you that correction. So in every part to try to let it be interior as well as exterior. Shout out to uh, Robbie Cotta, Deacon Robbie Cotta. I saw him yeah. on the golf course a couple of weeks ago and uh, they were, they were behind us and they were with the, we were on the hole in front of them, but it was like, you know, parallel to each other. And so he was about to hit a shot and I said, you will not make this shot. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun seeing the seminarians out on the golf course. Uh, mm -hmm. For those who don't know, uh, when Cardinal Mundelein built this campus, he had he he had a golf course built, right? Or was it already here when he got here? No, he put it in, and the first hole was right outside his back door of his yeah, house. Yeah, the, the tee box for hole one was right in in back of his house, and so uh, yeah, it wasn't a that? public. Course. It wasn't a public course. It was for the priests and the seminarians of the archdiocese. Yeah. In fact, I played uh, w with one guy once and I told him I worked at the seminary and he said, oh, my, you know, a friend of my, my um, wife used to work there. And so we got to play out there. I said, yeah, the, the tee box for whole one used to be right in back of the villa. He says, I know I played on it when it was that. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> right. But see, part of what Mundelein wanted to do there was to knit the membership of the mystical body together, right? So the priests, the diocese was getting big, the seminarians and the priests didn't know each other, and he wanted them to have a place to, to go to, uh, to work together. And that's not prayer per se, but it's a beginning, right? It's one of the things that prayer does. When you pray a curie with someone on your left and someone on your right and common words, common gestures, it doesn't only form your personal relationship, but it communally forms everybody as in right relationship with each other. And, you know, if you only stuck your hand in the microwave, you know, I love to talk about microwave, <laughs> only your hand would be cooked. Wait, that doesn't sound right. Say there was a microwave of glor divine glorification and you put your hand in it. Well, that's nice, but you really want your whole body in there. And it's a communal activity. 
And liturgical prayer is where that happens, right? It's it's governed by the church. It's done by the people as a community, as a as a, the body, and they do it together. And their job is to be conformed to Christ. So it has this kind of formal and stable and public elevated quality. Um, you know, I've been, as I said, I've been teaching this music class. And one of the things that came up was that um, liturgy is more Apollonian. Did we talk about Apollonian and Dionysian on the podcast? No. no. It's, a, it's a classic distinction from the ancient world. Apollo was the sun god and he was you know, intellectual, rigorous, precise, um, thinking, intelligent. And then Dionysius, you know, was the, the drunk god of wine. He was a drunk. And orgies and bodies and emotions, right? So we think of them as enemies. And the ancient world didn't really think of them that way. If you had a mind and you had a body. And sometimes you use the body and sometimes you use the mind. Um, and they're all together. And liturgy is mind and body, of course. But it has a kind of Apollonian quality to it, right? It's ordered. It's uh, governed by the intellect. It's uh, formal, it's stable, it's detail-oriented. Private prayer is the other way around in some ways. Of course, it has to have some order too, but it's personal self-communication. We can conform the prayer to what we want rather than trying to be did we talk? Maybe we did talk about this when we were talking about liturgy and devotion. Yeah, it's that same distinction, right? Private okay, prayer is devotional. And you know, when you go down the aisle with your bride, you're, you're conforming to a bunch of conventions. When you pray together in the car or at you know, end of the day, you can do whatever you want, right? So here's the Dionysian side. It's bodily, it's warm, it's emotional, and they both uh, work together. And so that's, um, you know, that's this introduction that at least that I, some of which I presented to the students that God wants to be in relationship with us so he can give himself to us. That requires knowing who he is primarily. And it's very weird because we think, oh, God is God. He can do what he wants. But there's kind of a thing either God can't do or won't do, and that is beat us up to make us obey. It's always a free invitation. It's always waiting for us to say yes. So in a sense, we're giving God permission to make us who he knows we ought to be. Just like you would you'd love your kid to say, Dad, please teach me your wisdom in life. <laughs> and instead, they're like, don't tell me what to do. It's teenagers. I might get that from Agnes, but definitely not Isaac. No, not yet. <laughs> um, and so the last thing was answering prayer. I don't know. What do you think the average person thinks an answer to a prayer is? Uh, well, I think the average person might say, like, you get you get what you ask for. Or you get what you deserve in some kind of cosmic oh, karma. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Well, what the catechism says, this is 2738 is that prayer is cooperation with God's providence and that we pray to know what he wants, not to tell God what we want only, right? I like that. That's awesome. Yeah. If you put Isaac in his room for misbehavior, he usually says, oh, thank you, Daddy. I have learned the lesson that you want me to teach, right? No, he's he gonna... tries to figure out why I'm mad at him. Right, and he doesn't know. <laughs> and when do you let him out of his room? Or when do you let a kid out of a timeout? When he's recognized what he did wrong. Yeah. So they could beg you. After like three days, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they could beg you, let me out, let me in my room. And they kick and scream and cry. And then somehow they settle down. And eventually as they grow up, they realize, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have set my sister's hair on fire. And then they realize, oh, that begging for stuff is not so much getting what they want, but coming to conformity to what you want and finding peace in what's better than our own desire uh, requires a radical trust in the sense, but on the other hand, is also about someone who knows me better than I know myself, 
and bringing my will into conformity to that perfect love. Well, poor Isaac, though, because uh, he's at home all day with little one-year-old Zelly, and uh, she has learned how to bite back. When <laughs> she's only she's only one, and you can't punish a one-year-old. Really, she doesn't. It's hard to know uh, whether she knows what she's doing, but. You know, I think a lot of times we can be infantile in our prayer life. We can, you know, we can just not really understand or, or fully mature. And so I think that development and that growth is very important. And, and I would say all of these principles that you're saying, I think they're relevant in perpetuity because I think we always need to continue to, you know, go back to our roots and say like, okay, let's, let's start here again, because inevitably uh, we're going back to where we were before, but we're doing it with a new mature mindset. And I like to think of it as like a spring, like an upward spiral. You may be where you were before, but you're hopefully at a, at a more elevated place at that point. And so if, if you're looking at it in two dimensions, oh yeah, you're in the same place. But if you add that third dimension, no, you're still getting closer. And so, mm-hmm. right. um, so I love that, like adding layers of of prayer to your to is scary if you are you know a life-threatening disease or you're in danger like the desperation is please god cure me please god take this away from me please god whatever if you have the radical trust that this situation is existing because god wants you to grow in holiness then you can say even though i'm scared to death father please let your will be done not because you're a doormat but because you know that there's something better when you allow God to do it. And the more you fight him, the longer it's going to take to get the good at the end of it. Just like the more the kid kicks and screams, the longer it's going to take for him. Mm-hmm. To <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? Every saint exemplified what you just said. Yeah. Every single saint. They did that. And, and, you know, whatever adversity they were facing, they said, you know what? Thy will be done. And think of and, the peace that comes if you say, oh, yeah, this stinks. Yeah, I'm scared but I have this trust in God. It's a total rescue from this sense of fear about the situations in your life. If you really have it. Uh, I'm looking at the time on our conversation. This went by very fast. This yeah. was a very good conversation. I really enjoyed it. That's what happens when you prep for something instead of just talk off the top of your head. So we didn't prep. We didn't do anything. I just said, well, Hey, I, I prepped to give the oh, talk okay. to the students. Yeah. It's cause you're a sucker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right, man. This is great. Uh, we got to do some more of these. Hopefully, we'll we'll flood this year with more coffee talks. So you, when when you were here on campus before, it's very easy. You would like randomly come up to me and you'd be like, "Jesse, I'm really caffeinated. Let's do a coffee talk." And then I would just drop whatever I was doing and be like, "Get the podcast equipment," and then we'd yeah. go. And then it would last about an hour, and then we'd be like, "All right, we're done." Yeah, um, it's hard to plan times of uh, yeah, but it worked out okay this time. Yeah. So we'll plan on doing more of these. Um, And you know what? I would say if you have an idea for a coffee talk episode that you want us to talk about that may not necessarily be about liturgy, but you want to hear us talk about it, feel free to send that and and we'll add it to a list of things that we can talk about during coffee talk. We'd be happy to do that. Boxers or briefs? That's a reasonable question for coffee talk. Or types of pies that you like or Mm. crust that you want to send us. That's all okay too. So, all right, man. Bye, Jesse. You've been listening to an episode of Coffee Talk with the Liturgy Guys. Our theme music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. 
and be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. I, I had too much coffee.